Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Washington Post has uh, reported at least 26 instances of anti-Semitism across the United States uh, since May 10th, and maybe more uh, since they reported on this. What's, what is this about? Uh, you would think, I mean, America's always been, a, has been considered a safe place for the Jewish people. What's, the, what's behind these recent anti-Semitic attacks. My guest, Joseph Lacani, is the president of the Simon Center for American Studies at the Heritage Foundation. He authored God, Locke, and Liberty, and most recently, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, which is being made into a documentary. And Joe, good to have you with me again. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on the show, sir. Great to be with you. Let's, uh, let's talk. first of all, is there in fact uh, a an outburst of anti-Semitic attacks going on in America right now? Or, you know, is this more than usual? Well, the Anti-Defamation League certainly believes it's more than usual, Mm -hmm. and they have the numbers on their side from last uh, year, 2019, I should say, the highest uh, recorded number of incidents in the 40-year history of the organization. So something does seem to be happening. Hmm. Uh, with regards to anti-Semitism, an upsurge, yeah. and, and there's no—I don't think there's a single reason for that. We can unpack that, uh, and, and, it, and it certainly has something to do with events happening there in the Middle East, right. most recently with Hamas, uh, the terrorist organization Hamas, and Israel, and the conflict that's broken out there. But I think it's a lot deeper than that. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Tell me, tell me then, uh, if it's not if it's not provoked by the recent conflict between uh, Israel and Hamas. What else do you think is behind it? Well, think about it this way. Think about what the Jews represent historically uh, in, in terms of Western civilization and also the United States. What's one of the great gifts of the Jews to the West and to the world? Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the great gifts of the Jews yeah. Ten Commandments. Is, is, the, <laughs> is the Ten Commandments, the right. great moral law, right, yep. that we yep. order our lives by, that have been so foundational uh, to Western civilization, of course, the United States. That's what the Jews represent in so many ways, the introduction of a transcendent moral law, divine moral law. So the more, here's one way to think about it, the more secular a society becomes, whether it's the United States or other nations in Europe, the more secular you become, the more resistant you're going to be to the whole idea of a transcendent moral law, truths mm-hmm. that apply to everybody, a moral code that everybody has to submit to, or at least be mindful of, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, in fact, uh, I think it was you or maybe somebody else who pointed out that one thing that seems to unite all of these uh, far-left political groups is they all have a rejection of a transcendent moral law. I think that's a pretty fair observation. You know, I think it's 30 years ago now that the sociologist James Hunter down at the University of, uh, of Virginia, he, re- he wrote the book Culture Wars and helped introduce that, that terminology into our, into our lexicon. And one of the points that Hunter made then, I'm not sure where he stands on it now, <laughs> but the point he made then was what divides us culturally, deeply, in the most profound sense, is do you have this understanding or belief in transcendent truth, yeah. that there, there is a moral order to, to the universe uh, and that we ha- we submit ourselves to that moral order, and that leads to human flourishing. Do you re- do you uh, believe in that and embrace it, or do you reject it? And increasingly, it's absolutely true 
uh, that those disparate elements on the left, <laughs> they pretty obviously reject uh, this universal um, moral code uh, that cuts across cultures, across civilizations, and across time. They resist that idea fiercely. But people from different religious beliefs, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, mm -hmm. other religious beliefs, they, they have this idea about a moral code, and that unites us in many yeah. important ways, doesn't it? Yes, it certainly does. And, uh, yeah, the, the idea that there's some transcendent uh, reason, uh, authority, person uh, that's outside the flux of our own uh, actions here is, is critical uh, for, I think, for uh, a cohesive society, um, it, it this attack. So I mean, if if in fact these new uh, anti-Semitic attacks are motivated by uh, hatred of the Jew, uh, Judaism's representation of the moral law, then these attacks on uh, the Jews are implicitly an attack on American liberties and freedom of religion. So it's a, sort of yeah, I think, by proxy. I think you're put, yeah, I think you're putting it exactly right when we think about what has the United States uh, gotten right. I know we've got plenty of problems and things sure. that we're struggling with. Yep. But let's focus for a moment on what the United States got right. And one of the things we got right in a way that really no one else in the world had done at the time, Constitutional Convention 1787, we lay down this idea that the government is not going to play favorites when it comes to religion. We're going to put religious liberty as the first liberty. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the cornerstone liberty, yep. the freedom of conscience in matters of religion. And from that rock, from that bedrock belief, you're then able to defend properly these other freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, the right to petition the government, the right to protest. They all go back to freedom of conscience, don't they? Yep. Well, the Americans got that right and said, no, the, the, the government, the state, is not going to play favorites when it comes to religion. We're going to guarantee equal justice under the law to people of all religious beliefs, regardless of their religious beliefs. That has been a great source of our success, our social peace, the ability to have pluralism, deep religious pluralism, without people at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's part of the genius of the American experiment. And Jews, of course, have been the, one of the great beneficiaries of that principle. No religious test for public office in the Constitution, right? Right. And so uh, if we abandon that, if we abandon the idea of equal justice under the law, full religious freedom, it strikes at the heart of the whole American experiment, our whole constitutional order. Yeah, yeah. Uh, acceptance of the Jews in American uh, society was actually a, a, a priority, a self-conscious action by President Washington himself, right? Yeah, you had the, uh, the, the really, uh, really, if you think about it, a really beautiful, warm exchange uh, of letters between Washington uh, and the Jewish congregation uh, there in Newport, Rhode Island. And I'll give you a, a piece of, the, of uh, Washington's letter. I have a piece of it in front of me. May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in the land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants. While everyone shall sit safely under his own vine and fig tree, there shall be none to make him afraid. And he's just referring uh, to, the, to the Hebrew scriptures there as well. These warm words from the head of state. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you could you could name another head of state in the world at the time yeah. who had such warm words uh, for the uh, Jewish citizens of his country. It set such a wonderful example. Not everyone, of course, not every American felt the same way, but Washington is setting the example. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, you you also, in your article, uh, you quote observations of Alexis de Tocqueville in his book, Democracy in America, where he, he yeah. notes this, this uh, what seems paradoxical. America doesn't have a state church. Uh, nobody's forcing um, a, a set of uh, religious orthodoxies uh, on people. Uh, and, yeah. yet, and yet, in America, you have the flourishing of religion. So you have this yes. freedom not to worship leading to the freedom yes. to worship. Yes, yes. And, and Tocqueville should be read more and more by people on all sides of the political spectrum, especially our friends on the left. Because what does this Frenchman see yeah. in the 1830s when he visits the United States? And he's thinking about his own European situation, particularly Catholic France, right? Yep. And what he saw there in Europe was, as the state got involved in religion and picking winners and losers, it it delegitimized religion. It weakened relig- religious belief. By trying to prop up these religions, it actually weakened them. And in America, because the government was not propping up uh, the various religious uh, organizations and churches and all, uh, they had to fend for themselves. The free market of religion led to a dynamism and an authenticity and a power that total. He was blown away by it. I don't know how to describe it. He's blown away by the, the civic activism what he called the the, the the actors in civil society who are motivated by their faith commitments to take on all kinds of social problems and various Americans. He couldn't swear about their, you know, their authentic religious belief, but he saw energy animated by religion that he didn't see in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and he was deeply impressed by it. And again, it goes to the heart of the American experiment, what we call American exceptionalism. Right, genuine, authentic religious belief. Religious groups coming together in civic life to solve problems together. Huh, what a great idea! <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you say to those? I mean, when we thought of in the past, when we think thought of anti-Semitism, we are usually thinking of yeah. groups like the the Klan, you know, sure. or other white supremacist groups. Uh, today, when we think of anti-Semitism, we're just as likely to think of the political left who yeah. excuse these kind of yeah. anti-Semitic attacks by saying, oh, no, we're not anti-Semitic, we're just anti-Zionist. Yeah. How do you yeah. respond to them? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. I, why is it increasingly on the left? I think because, and, and we have demographic uh, studies and surveys to show this, the political and social left has become increasingly secular, yeah. militantly secular. Back to our original uh, point about this. There's yeah. a problem when you become militantly secular. You start to resist uh, the idea of a moral code, the Jews represent that transcendent moral code. It's so deeply woven into their own history. I just read a, uh, a, a piece here today, or the other day, uh, the provost over at Rutgers University, the provost, on the one hand, he condemns uh, the acts of anti-Semitism around the country, and then he quickly has to apologize to the Palestinian community uh, on the campus for apologizing, for, for condemning the anti-Semitism. Hey. <laughs> well, well, this is, you know, this is just the cowardice. There's no other uh, word for it. It's, it's cowardice in the face of the mob. Yeah. And we've got, we got to resist the left-wing mob. I'm not saying there aren't problems on the right. There are problems on the right, but they don't worry me nearly as much as what's going on in the political and social left today. Yeah. Well, that the far right has almost very little political uh, power in America. Um, yeah. And when they, they recently a white supremacist organization called for a national rally, and I think about a hundred people showed up. <laughs> so, <laughs> they do not control the levers of cultural power, do they, my they, friend? They, they not do, at all. No, they do not. No, they do not. 
Um, look, I just you also mentioned it, part of our history here, and I think it is important to remember these moments. But let's you mentioned Washington and his attitude toward the Jews. How about Lincoln? You know, that's a terrific question about Lincoln. I don't think Lincoln had a uh, an anti-Semitic bone uh, in his body. And there's a wonderful uh, anecdote which I refer to in my piece. I read you a few lines here. When uh, during the Civil War, some of the generals. Uh, and others would struggle with their own kind of anti-Semitism. And Grant was one of them, Ulysses S. Grant. And he then tries to banish Jews as a class from one of the war zones there in the Civil War. Uh, but Lincoln sets them straight huh. in addressing a Jewish delegation. Sets them straight and, and rescinds th- uh, that order. Grant's order, Countermands yeah. Grant's order. It's just a tremendous example, again, of great leadership at the executive level. Hey, Joe, thanks so much. Good talking with you.